Welcome to the Caregiver Conversations podcast. My name is Antonia Harbin-Lamb, and I am the Program Manager for Great Lakes Legal Mediation Division. The purpose of this podcast is to provide information and resources for caregivers so they can be more successful and effective caregivers. This podcast is being sponsored by the PREVENT Initiative. The PREVENT Initiative funds programs focused on elder abuse and neglect prevention. Today, we will be discussing what caregivers need to know about the guardianship and conservatorship process, part two. The reason I say part two is because we have talked about this topic before on the podcast, but today we will go more in depth. I am happy to have with me Tracy Rowens. We work together at the Elder Law and Advocacy Center. Tracy Rowens is a graduate of the University of Michigan School of Art and the Wayne State University Law School. She is currently a staff attorney at the Elder Law and Advocacy Center at Neighborhood Legal Services Michigan, providing advice, services, and representation to older adults and their caregivers in a wide range of poverty law matters, focusing on housing, consumer finance, public benefits, disability, employment, guardianship, and probate issues. She has participated in coordinating and providing law-related education and community outreach services. Ms. Rowans is a member of the State Bar of Michigan's Elder Law and Disability Rights Sections Council and the State Bar of Michigan. Thanks for joining me today, Tracy. It's my pleasure, Antonia. Let's get started with how does a caregiver know if their loved one needs a guardianship and or a conservatorship? Well, I think the first thing that the caregiver needs to understand is is what these processes are. Uh, What is a guardianship or a conservatorship? And what is the difference between them? Um, And most importantly, that both of these processes should be considered as a last resort. Now, simply... Uh, A guardian uh, guards the person. A conservator conserves the assets of the person. So let me get it a little bit deeper here. A guardianship is a legal proceeding where an interested individual, and that can be a family member, that can be a friend, uh, it can also be a nursing facility or adult protective services, can petition the court for the legal authority to act on behalf of another individual. And for a guardianship, this authority is in regard to health care and residential placement decisions on behalf of, uh, and this is a, an interesting term, the alleged incapacitated individual. If the petitioner or the person nominated by the petitioner is appointed by the judge, they will actually receive a lovely legal document called the Letters of Guardianship. And this is their evidence that they can show the world that they are able to make the health care and medical treatment, residential placement decisions on behalf of the individual. And now a conservator, on the other hand, it's a similar legal process, very similar process-wise, where an interested individual, yes, nursing home or adult protective services, can petition the court, again, for legal authority 
on behalf of another individual, but this time it is to manage the finances and the assets, uh, including real estate, um, on behalf of an alleged incapacitated individual. And if the petitioner or the person nominated by uh, the petitioner is appointed by the judge, uh, like in a guardianship, a conservator will receive letters of conservatorship. Again, this proves that they can make the financial uh, um, transactions and real estate um, actions on behalf of the alleged incapacitated individual. Um, the the, um, the second thing I think a caregiver um, needs to understand is the criteria for the appointment of the guardian and the conservator because they're different, all right? So for a guardianship, the alleged incapacitated uh, individual. And again, just for people who aren't familiar with that term, that is the person that the caregiver is um, thinking needs a guardianship. Okay. So that's who the incapacitated individual is. It's just that the court refers to that person very specifically as an incapacitated individual. So I just want you to know that. And what does the court uh, require? Um, to appoint a guardian, um, it requires that the incapacitated individual lack sufficient understanding or, or the capacity to make or communicate informed decisions. And this can be a result of many, many things. It can be mental illness, chronic intoxication, mental deficiency, um, even chronic drug use. Um, but Many, many times it's physical illness or disability. Now, for a conservatorship, the alleged incapacitated individual um, must be an adult who's unable to manage um, their property or their business affairs effectively. And that, again, is because they, you know, the list that I just uh, read before, mental illness, chronic intoxication, mental deficiency, chronic drug reuse, uh, or physical illness or disability. But for conservatorship, there is a, a second prong, okay? And that is that the individual has assets that need to be managed, or th the value would be lost, or the asset itself will be lost. Um, and this is referred to, uh, you know, in the court uh, as a person having a wasted asset, okay? One that could be mismanaged and lost uh, without somebody to watch over it, to conserve it. So um, the other aspect that the court considers in the criteria is whether the incapacitated uh, adult themselves or dependents of that individual require asset, uh, access to the assets of that individual. Because remember, if you don't have legal authority, you can't take money out of uh, a, a person's bank account, okay? You have to have that letter of conservatorship, 
Okay? Now, um, when uh, you are appointed, the court does issue this lovely piece of paper, this official letter of guardianship. Um, and that is what the, the guardian or conservator receives, um, either the letter of guardianship or the letter of conservatorship. But they also receive a very important reporting responsibility to the court, which I'm going to talk to a little bit later, but you really need to know that if you're thinking of being uh, or petitioning the court to become a guardian or a conservatorship, it's not just you get that piece of paper and you walk away. You are tied to the court. So that's what the guardian and conservator get. What does the incapacitated individual get? Well, they get to become a ward of the court and as a result of having a guardian or a conservator appointed, they are stripped of many of their rights. Very important to consider, and yet another reason why, if there are other options available, other than guardianship and conservatorship, look for them, because they are going to end up to be better for the incapacitated individual and also the a person who's assisting them. Okay, so um, that's, that's basically what the differences are and the criteria to a point. Okay, thank you, Tracy. And because the court is very much involved in the process, how can a person or can they avoid guardianship and conservatorship? Well, there are a couple of ways, and um, they're highly recommended, <laughs> not just by me, but by uh, everyone who works with, um, you know, older people in the community. Um, and let me, let me just discuss them. So, so basically, um, individuals who have capacity to execute a legal document um, should should meet with an attorney. An attorney can draft a document. Uh, there are two of them that really are the um, the counterparts to guardianship and conservatorship that are the preferred legal document. Um, and they are the power of attorney for finance and the power of attorney for health care, which is also referred to as a patient advocate designation. It may be called a PAD. Um, so just know uh, that when you're talking to an individual who, you know, it may be yourself who are interested in these documents, I highly recommend them for everyone. But if you are a caregiver and you, um, you know, are a caregiver for an individual who does have capacity, these documents um, are, are so invaluable because what they do is they allow the individual um, who, you know, is thinking about the future and may need care and may need to appoint someone uh, to help them. What powers of attorney for finance and healthcare do is they allow the, the, um, 
the individual who's going to sign the documents, who is known in the biz as the principal, it allows the principal to appoint a person to assist them. And that assistant is referred to as the agent. So you have the principal and the agent. And the agent is... Um, is determined by the principal themselves uh, to make um, medical health care decisions and placement um, and for a, uh, a financial power of attorney to manage their finances. The principal remains in control even when they become incapacitated because they had the choice. They made the decision who to pick. Um, and they have the time to discuss with this individual who they've chosen to um, discuss, you know, how they do want their finances handled. You know, do you want me to sell the house to pay for your care? Do you want, um, you know, do you want a certain type of, if, and in this case I'm talking about medical health care, what what are your wishes if, if something does happen to you, you're incapacitated or uh, your end-of-life treatment? Do you want prolonged uh, measures taken uh, in regard to your life? Your agent has the ability, or the principal's agent, has the ability to act in the manner in which the principal would if the principal was making the decision themselves. So this is a much better way, a much better uh, source of documents, legal documents, that an individual can have and that an agent can have because these documents, once they're executed by the principal and accepted by the, um, the agent, these documents, um, uh, they negate the need for a guardianship or a conservatorship. So one of the first questions on the petitions for guardianship and conservatorship is, does this individual have a, uh, a power of attorney for finance and a power of attorney for health care? Because if they do, then it's conceivable that without showing cause um, why the agent um, who's nominated under the financial power of attorney or under the health care power of attorney, uh, unless there's evidence uh, presented, then that individual does not require a guardian or a conservator. And the judge will say, no, 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 you know, we're going to dismiss this case unless there's cause, okay? Because again, agents under power of attorneys, both medical uh, and finance, do have a fiduciary duty. Um, they have a duty to uh, act in the best interest of the individual that they are assisting, in the principal's uh, best interest. And if they fail, if they mismanage, then someone can, an interested person, can bring this to the attention of the court. And it can be, um, you know, undone. A guardianship uh, can be appointed, a conservatorship can be appointed. But the benefit of the power of attorney is that those documents, once signed, do not have to be filed with anyone, okay? If they are appropriately uh, executed, um, then there, there is no need uh, for, um, for them to 
to go to court at all. And if someone brings it up and says, no, 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 you need a guardian, you need a conservator for this person, you say, the agent does, no, 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 I have a power of attorney. Because sometimes people who have powers of attorney or agents under a power of attorney don't know that this document is actually more important and has more weight um, or equal weight, I should say, to letters of authority. So with powers of attorney, no court, not necessary, unless there's a, an issue or a contest. Now, I'm going to move on because there's something important that you do have to know, which is um, the criteria for appointing a... Um, for a principal to execute a legal document is that they must be able to understand the implications of the document, um, which, you know, on its face, that sounds really easy. Oh, they understand the implication of the document. Really? Does the individual understand that they are giving their authority uh, regarding health care and or finances away to another person, okay? That is the, the, the basis for whether uh, an individual can sign a power of attorney. Now, it's also important, excuse me, um, that the principal voluntarily wants uh, to sign the document, wants the document prepared. Um, that is the other uh, prong for capacity for the for powers of attorney, um, they need to, to understand that they're giving away their authority, their right to make decisions, and that they want to do so. That this is truly their wish. Um, so now that I've explained capacity to you, uh, let me tell you that capacity is a really slippery uh, and gray area of the law, and. What I always recommend is if there's any question, you know, caregiver or principal who wants to execute documents, um, powers of attorney, reach out to an attorney. Let, let's talk about this. Um, just because you're, you're experiencing memory loss or early signs of dementia um, doesn't preclude that you have capacity to sign uh, a power of attorney for finance or medical health care. So rather than my try to give you these unique uh, situations, because they exist, uh, where um, individuals who are experiencing some level of cognitive issues, they still have the capacity to execute a legal document. And if they can, they should. Okay. And what do caregivers need to know and understand about the guardianship and conservatorship process, Tracy? Maybe just give us a, a few pointers that they should really um, take heed to. Okay. So what you need to know is that um, when you petition the court, it's a job. Um, that first, there's a lot of paperwork that you have to fill out. Um, there are forms that must be completed for each uh, the petition, 
uh, and they're separate, petition for appointment of guardian, petition for appointment of conservator. You need to know that it's expensive, that to file, it's $175, um, and that it can be more depending on the requirements of um, notice. When you file, when you're a petitioner, you need to provide copies of the documents that are filed with the court with any of the interested persons. I'm not going to go into interested persons right now, but it's something that you should be um, familiar with so that when you see it on a form, you, uh, you understand that it's important. Um, what people need to know is that currently the courts have gone electronic. Um, people think that the courts are closed. Well, the buildings are. You can't see a judge unless uh, you have a petition um, that is scheduled for a hearing, in which case hearings are now on Zoom, like everything else. Um, and it's very, very important that, um, that people who are petitioning understand that they need to be able to access email, that they must have an email uh, account, um, because the court is going to do all communications electronically. Um, I think I've touched on all of the filing uh, and, you know, there are responsibilities, again, to make sure uh, all of the documents are provided to the interested parties. Um, but there's more than just the process of filing and being appointed. After a guardian is appointed, that guardian has a reporting duty to the court. And the court, uh, excuse me, the guardian has to file an annual report of guardian every year on the anniversary of, um, not on the anniversary of the uh, appointment of guardianship, but 56 days later, because the the report has to cover the 12 months, the full 12 months. So the court allows the guardian 56 days, and that's it, to get in that annual report. And if it's not received, you could be suspended. You could be discharged. So very, very important. And this is every year. Okay, once you're in the system, you're in the system. Um, and for a conservatorship, uh, the duties are, are a little bit, um, not even a little bit, they're, they're quite extensive. The conservator um, has to immediately, 56, within 56 days of being appointed, they have to gather all of the um, financial information, the account information, what the um, ward of the court, what their financial value is. And they have to provide documentation of it in, in the form of an inventory um, and provide it to the court. Okay? And once they do that, that's not the end. Because every year, the conservator has to prepare an accounting. So the accounting is uh, a, a reflection an accurate reflection of the monies that came in and went out, what happened to the assets. And the court is very particular about this. And you, the appointed uh, uh, conservator, have to file for a hearing 
to have your accounting uh, approved, which costs money, which can come out of the um, the ward's bank account or the conservatorship account that you'll establish. Um, but it still has to be prepared. You still have to go through the rigors of um, what is required by the court. So providing copies of everything filed to the court to the interested uh, people who are interested in the matter, that is required every year, okay? And again, if someone uh, feels that you are, that the conservator is not doing their job, there is a, a method for that conservator to be removed. Um, it's also true of guardianship. So there's both petitions to modify or change guardianships and conservatorships. Very important. So, so once you're appointed, once a guardian or a conservator is appointed, they and the ward are a part, a part of the, uh, the system, all right? I do want to point out um, something about the process, and that is that the counties, each county probate court has resources that are available on their websites, okay? If these are uh, procedures that you think that you are going to have to... Um, go through or file on behalf of a loved one, um, be familiar. Don't rely on Tracy's 20-minute synopsis. Read the details. I'm just giving you highlights so that you're not surprised. Oh, I have to file an inventory? What's an inventory? Um, know what you're getting into because it's a job, and it's hard for the caregiver who becomes the guardian or the conservatorship. Know that this is a position that you can handle, all right? Because, again, there are other alternatives, but they're bad. So think about, um, you know, is it possible for yourself, if you're listening and you need, uh, need um, to ward off the potential of a guardianship and conservatorship, or you are a caregiver and you are caring for someone who does need a guardian or conservatorship. Um, but they may have capacity. Think of the resources, and I'm just gonna give you a couple. Um, our organization, Elder Law and Advocacy, uh, provides um, free legal aid to seniors over 60 in Wayne County. Um, and we provide every first Tuesday of the month, and it's coming up October 6th. Um, gosh. Uh, anyway, we provide a resource where if you attend our Zoom hearing, we talk about documents. We talk about exactly, uh, you know, in more depth than what I've got into uh, here um, in a very interesting way, I must say. But anyway, uh, we, we try not to bore people. But if you attend the Zoom hearing, if you sign up for it, then, you know, what we are able to do for, for the people who qualify, um, and I mean qualify as seniors in Wayne County over 60, we can draft documents. We can draft the powers of attorney that you may wish or that your uh, care recipient needs, okay? We can do that for them. 
all right? Um, and there's another organization, Lakeshore Legal Aid, for, um, you know, seniors who are, um, I, I believe they have the same criteria we do, over 60. Yes. Um, they're there for you, too, in counties other than Wayne County. I think they also... Uh, might dabble in Wayne a bit. They do, yeah. Um, but so there are two resources. Elder Law and Advocacy uh, Center. Uh, we're in Redford. You don't even need to know where we are because we're on Zoom. So get our contact information because I'm sure uh, Antonia is going to provide it now. I will give that number. You can reach the Elder Law and Advocacy Center at 313-937-8291. We also have a email address, and that's elderlaw at wcnls.org. But it'd be best to call the phone number to get any questions answered that you may have. And you can reach Lakeshore Legal Aid at... 888-783-8190. Thank you for all of this helpful information and for joining us today, Tracy. Oh, it was my pleasure. As I I said, it would be, it was. (laughs) This is Antonia Harbin-Lamb. Thank you for listening. For more information about our mediation program and more podcasts, please call 313-937-8282 or find us on Facebook at Great Lakes Legal Mediation Division. It's where families coming apart come together.